We're going to be looking at Romans 8 uh, today, and uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. I just want to send greetings from my family. Valerie uh, is back at the church where we serve, Redeeming Grace Church in Fairfax. Uh, Our son is going to a um, missions team meeting today that was mandatory. I'm, I'm going on the missions team too, and I was supposed to be at the meeting, but... I explained to them that I was going to be here, and they accepted that. But uh, it's down at Rancho 3M. Some of you have been there. We've been at Redeeming Grace Church for three and a half years now, and we're really prospering in grace there. Um, uh, we still have our son, Braden in high school. He's 15. Our oldest sons, uh, we've been married now. We're celebrating 32 years next week. Thank you. Thank you. And... Uh, uh, Tawn remembers when my first son was born. She remembers when I came back from my honeymoon because we worked together uh, at that time. And um, so we had to have some old relationships here. Um, but uh, we're doing well. We're prospering in grace. But, you know, uh, it hasn't always been so. There have been some tough years. And uh, we're going to talk about, you know, how you can trust God um, on the mountaintops and in the valleys, you know, because he's the God... That's, that's the message of scripture. I love, I love that we're in a Jewish Christian place because the message of Yahweh was, he was the God of the mountains and the valleys. You know, he's the God of everything. And our text today really, uh, presents that promise in a way that I hope ministers to you. Uh, you know, I was thinking it would be great if we would all stand and maybe read this together. Um, I, I put it on the screen for you, if we could put the uh, verse up on the screen. And just read it out loud together, because this really... And just and read it and think about it as we're reading it, okay? This is the Apostle Paul, and he's, he's anticipating questions, and he says, okay, let's read together. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Next verse that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we do, together, we just lift our hearts to you. And as uh, Albert prayed earlier, and uh, uh, as Kimberly prayed as well, Lord, lift the scale from our eyes. Help us to understand your word. Help us to know of your love and your commitment to us. Lord, we don't want to work anything up this morning. We just want to invite you to make your word clear to us. Illuminate it to our hearts. 
allow our minds to understand it and our hearts to worship you as a result. That's our prayer, Lord God. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, you know, I was listening to the, Nathan's testimony and the other gentleman, I don't know what his name is, I, I didn't hear his name, but I was just really edified. And then Holly came and read that scripture from Isaiah 6. And man, I just was so blessed by hearing the word of God. So I, I mean, I'm, I was ready to, I feel I've already been ministered to. But I have, uh, I do have a long history with the church. I was present at the very first meeting that uh, Daryl and Tom were at. It was in Middletown High School, I think it was. And uh, it's great to see God still at work here among you. It's great to see you still allowing the Word of God to minister here and encourage one another, building your lives together on the gospel. As uh, we come to Romans 8 now, you notice that the Apostle Paul asks a question at the beginning of the text. And if you are familiar with the book of Romans, Paul does this frequently. He'll teach a lot, and then he'll anticipate the questions of his readers, and then he'll ask a question, and then he'll answer the question. Uh, it's something he does in the book. Now, we, when we got to this text, we had already studied all the first eight books, eight chapters of Romans. This is the end of chapter eight. So I'm just going to give a brief summary of what he's talking about when he says, what shall we say to this? If you think about Romans, okay, Romans 1. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, right? Romans 2, but we're, we're all guilty. None of us are right before God. But Romans 3, Jesus Christ has accomplished an amazing work of justification, so we can't boast. Romans 4, God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham, and now by his resurrection we're justified. Romans 5, okay, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, the power of the body of death has been rendered powerless in those who believe. So we're now being made holy by Christ, remember? And then Romans 7, but that the struggle's not over. We still fight against sin. And then the beginning of Romans 8 is just magnificent. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can fight our sin, we can put it to death, and we can cry, Abba, Father, to him. And, and, and that's really important. But it says in Romans 8, it, it, there's this, this really sort of, maybe one that we, verse that we don't necessarily memorize. It says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Right in the center of the verse. And then he goes on to make these statements about our glorification. And I think as you think about all that truth, that magnificent truth, Paul is anticipating the natural fears and questions that the average person would experience hearing this good news. And maybe that we all experience as we think about the good news. And that's, um, you know, uh, can he really forgive my sins? I mean, I, I appreciated what, um, I can't remember the young lady's name who was just speaking, but can he forgive the things that I've done? Is, it, is this salvation good for me? And then, you know, I even heard this echoed in the prophetic words this morning. What if something really bad happens to me? I appreciated what Nathan said. Well, I have what it takes. Well, will this truth sustain me through the dark times? Is, is this big enough? Is this real enough? So that the promises of God will be real for me and sustain me in the darkest times. 
how can we know with certainty that God will love us? And how can we know with certainty that we will make it successfully to the end? How can you know that Christianity is big enough for your life? You know, and I think there are people here in different parts of life. Maybe you're in high school and you're thinking, well, when I go to college, I hear a lot of things about people going to college. Is God going to be there with me? Maybe maybe you're single and, you know, you're thinking about getting married or you've been disappointed in relationships. And is God big enough to take me through my single years? Or maybe you're newly married and you're looking at raising small kids and... Is he big enough for us there? Or maybe you got teenagers, and that's a whole different challenge. <laughs> is God big enough for you? Or maybe you're on the back nine of life, and you're looking at, you know, really what aging really is. Is God going to be with you, making it, helping you make it to the end so that you can not only live for him, but die for him? How can, the real question is this, can God be trusted? Can you trust God? So Paul asks a question, but he's really providing an answer to our questions this morning. Uh, with enemies in, within, and enemies without, with life struggles, how can you be confident in the gospel? How can you be confident knowing the love of God and that you're going to make it to the end? So to answer this question, we're going to ask two questions of our text. The first is this, how can, I be, how can we be secure in our salvation? That's the first question. And the answer to that question is our first point this morning. And that's right from the text. Our salvation is secured by the work of Christ. That's, there's just two points this morning. Our salvation is secured by the work of Christ. Paul deals with our questions, just a few short verses here, and he puts an exclamation point on the work of Christ that has taken eight chapters to explain. He wants us, he really does, he wants us to get the gospel. And I hope that as we go through this text, the gospel will be really clear and really meaningful to you in a way that he intends. So the first, to understand how he secures and saves us, he asks a series of questions. And the first is, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, it's interesting that he asks this question in the way he does. Because if he said, if he just said, who is against you? Or if he, had, if he just said, who, who is against you? You could easily say a lot of things, right? I mean, my, my, the flesh is against me. The world and all its allurements, the devil who's always accusing me. And I'm sure you probably in your life have some enemies. It's people that for whatever reason and wherever you are in your life. But who, he doesn't say that. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that question is designed to make us think. It's to make us think about what God has done. And then he answers his question with a question. <laughs> this is really interesting. Look what he says. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Notice the words, his own son. Right earlier in this chapter, he said, we're his adopted children, right? He said, we cry, Abba, Father. We're, we're his adopted children. And how can we, as God's adopted children, know that God's love is going to be there for us? How can we know that? I mean, we're just adopted, right? Well, he goes from the argument of the greater to the lesser. He says, how can we know? Well, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? 
God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he was alive with the Father forever and ever. Before the world was created, Christ existed in perfect fellowship with the Father. He's saying, if God gave Christ to do all the work he's just been discussing, how will he not with give us all things graciously? Now, that all things, you know, so what, what, does that, what does that mean? Some people have mistaken that verse and said, well, you can ask God for a, a Mercedes-Benz and he'll give it to you. Now, you can ask God for prosperity and blessing, and I'm not going to tell you not to do that, but that's not what this verse means. It's just not what, it, what it's talking about. He's saying, all things that are necessary for your salvation... All things, anything you need in your journey of salvation, he's going to provide for you. If he's given Christ, how will he not also graciously provide you all things that you need for your salvation? That's the point of the the thing he wants you to know. He's given you the most precious thing in the whole universe. How will he not also give you all things? So when you ask for things regarding your salvation, you can be absolutely confident that Abba Father wants to give them to you. You You want more holiness in your life? You want to be a better husband, wife, son, disciple? You want to love the needy more? Ask God for those things and he will give you them. The Holy Spirit wants to give you all things necessary for your salvation. Ask to marry well. Ask to finish well. All those things we were just talking about. You want to finish well? I want to finish well. I'm on the back nine. And if somebody asks me, anybody says, well, how can I pray for you? I always say... Pray I'll finish well. I just want to make it to the end. I want to, I want to, I want to finish with the same zeal that I started. You know, and, and so God's all, God's all in. He's given us the most costly thing in all of creation. So it goes from the greater to the lesser. And then he asks another question that addresses our potential doubts. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, now he's speaking to our fears now. God, he wants to remind us that salvation is by grace from start to finish. From the beginning to the end, it's by grace, not by works. Okay, so in order to give us confidence for the future, he's pointing to a day. He's, he's asking this in the future tense, pointing to that last day when we will stand. Albert was talking about this morning. And he says, who's going to bring any charge against God's elect on that day? Who's going to do it? And... Notice how he refers to us in that verse. He doesn't say God's saints, God's children. He says God's elect. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not going to necessarily talk about the doctrine of election this morning, but when it occurs in Scripture, we need to allow it to function for us the way it functions in the text. And this text is not here so we can speculate on the, all the arguments of election that occur in when people have a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> but it's here to give us a sense of the profundity, if you will, the, the, the amazing nature of God's love for us. You know, and, and excuse me, I've got my shoelaces untied here, so I'm going to just bend down here and tie my shoe, or I'm going to be distracted the whole message. Because I want to be able to walk around. When we experience salvation, we experience it all on this side, right? Someone shares the gospel with us. Someone shared the gospel with you, and what happens? You, know, you, say, you start to be, feel conviction of sin, and you say, 
what do I do to be saved? And they say, well, you've got to turn from your sin. You've got to trust in Jesus. And it's all, we experience it all here in our life, right? That's just, we, we don't experience this thing called election when we're getting saved. And I love the way Charles Spurgeon talks about it. He says, you know, the salvation, you, it's like walking through a gate. And when you walk through the gate, it says, anyone who believes on the name of the Lord, or everyone who believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what you see. And that's what someone tells you. And I can tell you that this morning. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. If you believe on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's just the, the offer of salvation to you. It's to all of us. So we repent, we believe, and we come into the kingdom. We go through the gate. And when we look back, Spurgeon says, there's a sign above the door, chosen from all eternity. You're going to ask me to explain all that? I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. But that's what the Word of God says. And it's designed to make you understand. You know, one of the memory verses that we all memorize, right? I mean, Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved. And this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God that no one should boast. It's by grace. It's so that you'll have a confidence that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to a completion on that day that he's talking about right here. He began it. He's going to bring it to a completion. It's by grace you've been saved. And that's what Paul wants us to understand here. So when we're tempted to be fear, fear, God wants us to be certain that salvation begins with him. And so to that question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God's word states clearly, look at it in the verse. It says, it is God who justifies. The NASB says this, God is the one who justifies. In the Greek, it literally just says this, God pronounces righteous. That's... How does God, holy God, the holy God that Holly was reading from in Isaiah 6, this God of all holiness, how does he pronounce unrighteous men and women righteous? Well, we know from Romans 3 that the just became the justifier by taking on himself all our sins. Amen? So one final question. Uh, that uh, helps us to see how it is God who saves us completely in Christ Jesus. And I think this is um, kind of getting at some of those things uh, uh, that the young lady was talking about earlier, you know, the, the, the shame that we sometimes feel, uh, that we all feel, and all of us feel this. You know, maybe we're not even aware of it, but all of us feel shame. Even as Christians, we feel shame. Because... I'm sure you, you've done things in the last week that you wouldn't want to come up here and just kind of give a testimony about, right? All of us have. How do we keep going? How do we not get condemned? Well, I think Paul's anticipating this, and he says, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, this is the heart of the passage right here. Now, it gets better after this, but this is, this is the point. I just want to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, help us to get this. Help us to get this. And I hope every time you read this passage, I just hope that it comes alive to you. Who is going to condemn God's children in light of these facts? Who is going to condemn God's children in light of the fact that Jesus Christ came to the earth and he lived a sinless life. And 
More than that, he died an atoning death. He suffered on that cross, taking the punishment that used to go to the sacrifices of animals and goats, but now is on a perfect Savior. He took the full expression of God's punishment for our sins. But more than that, he was raised from the dead for our justification. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Who's going to condemn you now? What can condemn you now? If that is true, God saves us through the work of Christ. Now, if if we had to earn this, if we had to preserve this, if we had to keep this based on our own works, if we had to get in based on our own wisdom, if we had to be smart enough or good enough, we would all have reason to fear. But here, our salvation is secured in what Christ Jesus has accomplished. And it is done. It is finished. It is clear. That's why you can trust God for your salvation. Because Christ Jesus has accomplished it. So, when the enemy comes and says, you're a loser, you just say, you're right. I am a loser. (laughs) I can't earn my own salvation. Jesus, I'm not saved on the basis of my good works or my continuing obedience. Now, obviously God wants us to obey. It's not just, you know, this is not just a free hall pass that we can just sin all we want. No, because this is to drive us to Christ so that we love him. We're going to see that, how it calls us to, to, to respond with all of our life. It, you know, when you get to Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's like, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifices in view of God's work. Live for him. It's, that's what he's going to get to, but Our salvation is secured by the work of Christ. Okay, now that's the first part of the equation. But can you be secure in God's love? You know, maybe you know he's he's saved you, but will I be able to, in my life, as I face diagnoses, as I face death? I mean, a, a friend of mine in our church went home to be with the Lord Thursday night. I'm doing his funeral on Thursday. I did a friend, another friend's funeral last year in February. This this month. Uh, it was a year ago. She was 52 years old. Uh, died of cancer. Um, this man was 87 and lived a longer life. But, you know, someone said it this morning, you know, when you, when you think about our lives in eternity, what's the difference between 52 and 87? It's a, it's a blip on the screen. You know? And I, I, I'm not saying it's not hard when a fifth, it's hard, in some ways it's harder on us when we have difficulties and people die young. That's really hard on the people that are left behind. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that now. How, how can we make it through? How do we know God's love? And, but as we do this, I wanna just say, I wanna just say something here, and that is, um, this word conqueror. I wanna define this word conqueror. If you look at our text here, um, uh, I want to define it first before we go on, because I think when we think of the word conqueror, we think of um, sort of big things. We think of like William the Conqueror. We think of you know guys like Napoleon or Alexander or these different people who take over nations, and they're not. That's not always good. But but conquering means really just it means to overcome enemies. 
It means to emerge victorious in the face of challenges. It means to make it through. That, and that's what I think Paul is getting at here. He's, he's not talking about some big super thing. He's talking about life and the things we face in our life. So as we think about those things that we talked about earlier, whether you're in high school, you're in early 20s, mid-30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or maybe the 70s, how can you grab hold and know that God's going to see you through to the end? Well, look at verse 35. Paul lists seven enemies in the form of a question to the question, who, why, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he quotes Psalm 44. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now that's quite a list. Seven different uh, troubles, seven different enemies, real and painful things in our lives. Look at them. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Now, these are real things. Remember, earlier Paul said we would be heirs provided we suffer with him. That's not a verse we like to memorize. But God wants us to be prepared, brothers and sisters. He wants us to be prepared for real life. It's not just a party. It's not just... I mean, it's, it's a, there's wonderful things in the world, but, you know, you think about it. When are we most likely to doubt God's love? When are we most likely to struggle with the knowledge of his forgiveness? It's when we're suffering, isn't it? It's when we're... We're facing earlier, he said, creation groans. And earlier in the chapter, creation groans. And we groan. We groan because there's suffering in this life. Real, real, real suffering. So when I say my friend died, it's not like I don't shed tears over that. I wept. But what's the question we ask? Where's God? Is God with me in this? How can God let this happen? Yeah, I was I was talking to uh, a, a friend who not a Christian, and his son stepson, or his, I'm sorry, his son-in-law was recently diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I I I just talked to him, and I was just trying to encourage him. I've shared the gospel with him many times, and he just said, "I I can't believe in a God who would allow this to happen." And I understand his struggle, but how do we think about these things? Does the Bible prepare us for these kinds of things? It does. I'm here to tell you it does. We live in a broken world. It's like, you know, we see the glory of God in creation. And it's amazing. The beauty of creation, the beauty of humankind and their accomplishments and science. And we're living in an age where it's almost like knowledge is just going forward so fast. It's amazing what humankind can accomplish. And yet we think about the wickedness in our world. The anti-Semitism, the racism, the sexism, the harm, the refugees. Millions and millions of people living in tents and squalor. I mean, it's broken. The world, it's like, it's like if you go down to the Kennedy Center, you know, I don't know what, what kind of music you like, but I'm going to just use classical music just because it's easier for me to share notes. But let's say you're going down to the Kennedy Center and one of the greatest pieces of music is Beethoven's Fifth. And you're going down to hear the Washington 
National Orchestra play Beethoven's Fifth. You get there. The problem is the orchestra's been drinking for four hours. So they're all more than slightly tipsy. So they come out onto the stage and they begin to play. And they're mass, you know, these guys and gals have been studying music for a long time. So they can get it kind of right, and it kind of sounds like Beethoven's Fifth, but there's just something not quite right. That's kind of like the world. Something's not quite right. We know, all know it. It's broken. And, and, you know, if you look at these seven things that Paul listed here, we in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan, Baltimore metro, I don't know where you identify yourself with here, Maryland, Northern Virginia, where we come from, we're not probably going to face nakedness, famine, danger, or sword. I mean, I can't guarantee that. Obviously, nobody can, but likely, probably, based on the last couple hundred years, we're not going to face that in our lives, right? But he's not just writing to us. He's writing to all Christians everywhere, in all time. And there are some Christians today who are in famine. There are Christians today who are being killed for their faith. Is the gospel big enough for those people? Is it... Is Jesus real enough? Is he big enough? And the answer is yes. In every one of these single situations, look at verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things, in all these things, this is a promise that we can hold on to, brothers and sisters. We're not, we're not conquerors because we are conquerors, but we're conquerors because we're united with the conqueror. He has made a way for us. Our connection to him is that we shall never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is a promise that is based in the character of God. It's based in the promises of God and the promises of a covenant-keeping God, who is a rock, and he never lies. He never ever... God, you think of any human being you know, I guarantee you at some point in their life they have lied. God has never lied. He's never made a promise he can't keep. And when he says this, he means it. And you can trust him. He is different than us. He is not like us. He is eternal, and he is righteous. He is holy. And we're connected to him through Jesus Christ. We will be able to make it through trials and tribulations successfully. Why? Because he lived, he died, and he's presently interceding for us. Now, that can sound really kind of glib. And I'm a little bit... It's the word of God, but it can sound glib if you're in a place of darkness right now. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're facing cancer in a spouse or in a child and it's hard and I I, want to just say this because I think this verse is here both to prepare us and to speak to us you know because if you're not suffering right now you will be at some point and and you're going to have to ask yourself when I'm in that place where I'm not experiencing you know like that you know when when you're, you're in that place where you're like Sometimes you're like worshiping God with the saints and you're like, oh my God, and you just feel the love of Christ and you're filled with hope and joy and peace. But sometimes 
And if you haven't been there, I'm glad for you. But sometimes you're just in a dark place. Have you ever been there? Like, like you just, you can't get out of it. You're just like, your, your emotions are just dark. And you, your faith is not really strong towards God. In fact, I remember a time in my life, a number of years ago, I was, I was in a dark, dark place. I mean, some of the guys that I'd grown up in the Lord with would not even talk to me. And it was for several years and I couldn't understand it. And then people were saying negative things about me online. And I, and there was, and you know what? God allowed it. I couldn't do anything about it. But for someone who loves their reputation, like me, and that's not a good thing. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but God was going after me. He was after me and he allowed me to be in this place. But I got to a place where I was, I mean, honestly, I was doubting my, even my own faith. I'll be honest with you. I was like, is this real? Have I given my life for something? Is it really real? And right in the middle of that, one of my best friends becomes clinically depressed. And so he can't, like, I, I can speak the and this, this is a strange thing to say, but in a certain way, that was a blessing to me because I had to, I, I love this guy. He's like my brother. And I just immediately go into that feeling of, I'm going to just walk with him and I'm going to stay with him and I'm just going to keep telling him the truth. And as I told him the truth, I kept saying to him, two things, God is with you and God is for you. I just kept saying that to him, even if you can't feel it. And there were things going on in his body and everything. And he, he couldn't get a hold of the truth, but I just kept saying, God is with you and God is for you. And I just kept praying. I kept reading the word. I didn't feel like reading the word, but I kept reading the word because my friends said to me, this is where the body of Christ comes in. They said, I said, I don't feel like reading the word. They said, you need to read the word. Because you need the word. In the midst of your discouragement, you need the word. And I was like, okay, thank you. Thanks for encouraging me. And I stayed in the word. And I realized somewhere in that process, and I could go a lot longer on this, but I'm not going to because I want to finish the message. But I realized that verse in John 10. When I came to the end of myself, the father still held on to me. He had a grip on me. And he wasn't going to let me go. There was nothing I had left and I was still secure in his hands. And he met me, and he met my friend, and he's several years ago came out of that depression, praise God. Even in your darkest place, you can't outrun the love of God. If you climb to the highest mountain, he's still there. If you go into the depths of Sheol itself, he is still there. You need to remember that. When you face trials and you're not feeling God's love, God is still with you and he's still for you. And we need to remind ourselves of this. We need to encourage ourselves because sometimes it's going to be you. Sometimes it's going to be your spouse. Sometimes it's going to be your kid. And you just got to say, no, God is real and he's true and he's never going to leave you and or forsake you. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we never suffer. We never face challenges, even to death, because that's not true. It's, this, is, this is even for when we die. It doesn't mean we're never going to suffer. It doesn't mean God's going to preserve our earthly lives. But the point is, in all things, we're more than conquerors. All things, all things, all things, all things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, coming down to the end here, and I bet you the Apostle Paul is saying, I know some of you are really doubting what I'm saying here. You're really having some questions. You know, is there a loophole? You know, and if you, if you know anything about computer programming, if you watched any of those uh, 
TV shows like 24, that the computer programmers leave a back door, you know, so that if it ever gets stolen, you can get back in, right? Well, there's no, Paul wants to make sure there's no back door on this one. So he's going to make this last and final statement so we can close the door on our doubts. We can make sure he really means what he's saying to us. Is this really true? Well, look at verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, for I am convinced. Think about that. I am convinced. This is Apostle Paul speaking now. The, I, I, I like it. the KJV says, for I am persuaded that. I am persuaded. Um, he says, oh, I'm sorry. ESV says, I am sure. The KJV says, I am persuaded. The New American Standard in the NIV says, I am convinced. I am convinced. Are you convinced? Are you convinced yet? <laughs> you need to be, because the symphony is coming to an end and Paul wants to close the doorway on our uncertainty, our doubts. He wants us to convince us that God and his gospel can be trusted so that we can remain confident in the love of, of God. He began with a series of questions uh, to allow us to understand that the work of Christ is, is secures our salvation. And now Paul lists four pairs of things that communicate totality. These are things, and we're not going to look at all of them, but... Look at the four things. The, the, height and depth, that's everything, right? He's trying to just say everything, and he's just listing things. But if you just look at the first two, neither death nor life. That covers a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> what about um, things present, things to come? It's everything up till now, right? Everything that's going to come, that's pretty good. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. That about covers everything. And then he says this, nor anything else in all creation. And I, I like the way the New American Standard translates this. It's, it really is the same thing, but just if you put it up on the screen there, look, look what it says. It says, nor any other created thing. The same thing, anything else in creation. But I think it's clearer here. Because what was before creation? God, right? Nothing else. Only God. Everything else has been created. So he's saying nothing in nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing. He means nothing. It really he's putting a slam dunk exclamation point on it. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. And this word uh, be able to is the same word, exact same word in first in Romans one sixteen, for it, where it says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is able to save anyone who believes." It is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation. So nothing is able to separate you when you believe in the gospel from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No, there's no power. On heaven, in heaven or on earth that will separate you. Because why? Because God has accomplished it. He's done it. Do you see how it holds together? 
Nothing can separate you because he has saved you. He's done what needs to be done. And this work, this love is unrelenting. It's uncompromising. It's unremitting. It's unfailing. It's the work of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see his love? The work of Christ saves us. And the love of God in Christ holds us. Now, the work of Christ guarantees the love of Christ forever. So, you know, sometimes when you see these passages, and you, you know, it can make us feel like, okay, is this really true? Because there's no, really, there's no application here. <laughs> he doesn't say, okay, now go do this. And it gets to, it gets to it later. It gets 9, 10, and 11, he's going to talk about the Jewish people. But when he gets to 12, that's in view of God's mercy... That's the application. In view of God's mercy, with all this stuff in mind, now live a life of sacrifice, right? So what, how do we apply this this morning? I want to just give you a thought. Just, you can think about it yourself and apply it to yourself because that's really what we're intended, God intends us to Read this text this week and, and meditate on it and think about how God wants you to apply this text. But if, as Paul says in First Timothy 1, that the goal, of, the goal of our faith is a clear conscience and love, right? That's the goal of our faith, love. Don't we all want to be more loving? We, that, that's what it means to, to, to worship God, right? To love others. We love God and we love others. Well, how do we really do that? Well, what does John tell us? We love because he first loved us. And so the application of this verse is to believe that God loves you in Christ Jesus. And when you look at the cross and you think about the gospel, believe that that is an expression of God's love for you and to then look back at him and love him in response and to worship him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. That's Deuteronomy 6. That's where Jesus got Matthew twenty two thirty seven from, you know, it's the message of the Old Testament to the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your... And if, you know, and Jesus said, if you do that, you will love your neighbor as yourself, won't you? If you do it rightly. And Jesus Christ is the one who shows us how to do it. He's the one. All that he's done for us. Oh my goodness, Lord, we love you. Lord, help us to love you with our lives. Help us to love you with our hearts. Help us to love you with our minds so that we can put to death that shame that the young lady was talking about. We can let it be washed away in Christ Jesus. And we can live free of shame and free to love others. So wherever we are, whether it's the workplace, the school, our homes, we're free, we're liberated to love, to serve others, to live for Christ. Amen? Isn't that a great, isn't that just a wonderful thing? Oh, so how can our God be trusted? Well, our salvation is secured in the love of Christ, and the work of Christ guarantees the love of Christ forever. Brothers and sisters, God's love can be trusted. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so, so good to us. And we still, we doubt, every one of us. We, our faith is weak, Lord. But Lord, thank you that we get to be together. Thank you that you never give up on us. And thank you, Lord, for 
other imperfect saints like us that we gather together to, to encourage one another, to even hear testimonies of how you've worked in our lives and uh, testimonies like we've heard this morning of you're working here in our midst, Lord God. You're, you're doing these things. And Lord, our confidence is not in our great wisdom. It's not in uh, our great works, but our confidence is in you. So we just rest this morning and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this glimpse into the, the security of your love for us. And we pray, Lord, for each person here, you'd help us to believe these things and to walk in the good of them, that you would make us more loving toward one another as a result, and that you would do that work that even Albert was and, and Kimberly were praying about earlier. You'd help us to be living to testify of the glory of Jesus Christ in our world, in this broken world, Lord God. We're looking forward to you coming back. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We ask you to come back, Lord. But until that day, Lord, let us live for you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.